0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whenever you are, it is Friday, the 22nd of May, 2020, here in beautiful Bayside, Melbourne, Victoria. 22nd of the 20. Hey, who cares about the date? Where are you? You're at the official Bobby Galinski podcast, The Way It Is, episode nine. Don't want you thinking you're at the wrong place. You know what day it is, 22nd of May 2020, 22222. Two, 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 two. Just got to make sure you're in the right place, right time. Here we go. 2220222. Two, 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 two. Lots of twos there. Now twos in numerology mean teamwork. And I think we are a team out there because unless you're out there listening to me, I'm just barking at the moon. And unless I'm here doing this podcast, you have no life. So We've got a lot of teamwork there. However, the twos add up to four. And four is synonymous with the Chinese unlucky number because it sounds close to the word for death. So maybe we're all going to die today. Let's think that one through and see how this goes. And it's great to be back. Episode nine. It's been a very interesting week. It's been a huge week. It's been a very interesting week. We are still in most mostly locked down here in the, uh, you know, Nazi socialist Unterscharfuhrer's kingdom, Daniel Andrews, Victoria, uh, still can't go to restaurants yet, can have a coffee. He's allowed us to have five people over, five people over. What a sweet guy. What What a generous man. I think man is a bit of an exaggeration, but uh, that's, we'll get into that later. I always have to open with that, just that anger mode. Because remember, I really don't mind what you like or love. I don't mind. If you like anchovies, if you like Hillary Clinton, if you like, you know, just about anything other than some things on the dark web, I don't mind. That's your thing. Just don't, just don't berate me mind and I and I won't be, berate you. We can all get along. I think. hmm, gonna have to have a think about that. But it's the 22nd and all these twos, twos, twos add up to what happened on May 22nd in history? Well, a lot of you, history fanatics would like to know that in 1370 in Brussels, Belgium, Uh, They massacred a pile of Jews and tried to kick them all out. Now, Belgium, Belgium, which today is nothing but uh, a hotbed of pedophiles, chocolate manufacturers, and safe houses for Islamic terrorists. Belgium, I always had a problem with Belgium. If you haven't seen that film In Bruges, that kind of says it all. And In Bruges is one of my 50 all-time favorite films. And Colin Farrell is absolutely at his best. But let's let's fast forward to 1939 when Adolf Hitler and Benito Mussolini signed their Pact of Steel. And also on this day in 1843, the first wagon train, wagon train with 700 to 1000 migrants. They obviously were pretty wide on the estimates there. It's either 700 or 1000. I'm reading this off the web. Departs Independence Missouri for Oregon. Amazing. It was also the beginning of the War of the Roses. Yes, the War of the Roses, the opening battle in that 30-year war happened in 1455, which freaks me out because I don't remember Danny DeVito being around in 1455 or Kathleen Turner. I can't believe that film is that old. Time flies. And on this night in 1992, Johnny Carson's final appearance as host of the Tonight Show, those of you high millennials, those of you that didn't exist in 1992, to enjoy Connie, Johnny Carson, the king of late night television. Not discounting Joey Bishop or or Jack Parr or uh, you know some of the other, or let's not forget Dick Cavett. Dick Cavett was pretty cool, but Johnny Carson was the king. And that's film and TV. What about music, Bobby? What happened in music? Well, I'm happy to know that on this day in 1900, Edwin Voti patented the pneumatic piano player. What the fuck is that? And for you ladies, you lovely ladies out there, big day, huge day in 2003 in Fort Worth, Texas. Do you know who Annika Sorenstam is? Well, she was the first woman to play the PGA Golf Tour in its 58-year history. So, as I said in a previous episode, we gave you the vote, we let you drive, you've taken over the thermostat, and we let you on our golf courses. So you ought to be pretty happy. Ought to be pretty happy. What do you think? We should all be pretty happy because spring is springing. In the Northern Hemisphere. Down here, it is winter. We went from a couple of really nice days to just rainfall and cold, rainfall and cold. But I got a beautiful new parka. Some of you might have seen the parka in mittens on the uh, show notes. So I am warm and I've acclimated down here in Australia because, as you know, I grew up in Sioux City, Iowa, where it's 7,000 below zero in the winter and you couldn't even barely touch your tongue into a parking meter, or it, it would stick, and you'd have to have your head amputated to get your tongue off. But down here, it never gets below zero, really. But I can't handle the cold much. I love the cold. I love Christmas time in the Northern Hemisphere, London. Love the lights and the cold and the snow and all of that. But kind of Australian kind of cold, wet, dank, rainy, gray. doesn't do much for me really doesn't do much for me. Well, it has been a bombshell week politically. But we're going to save that for the end because we try and be nice for most of the show and just hold back. Hold back. I love all the feedback from you folks. Love the ratings and reviews and the comments on social media and everything. I really do. I read every one of them. I'm very grateful for and very appreciative. Although there's some of you that are just listening and not subscribing, that doesn't quite tip, tip over the fulcrum of happiness in my world. So, you know, maybe you're thinking, what can I do? And in fact, I'm pretty sure you woke up this morning thinking, you woke up, you looked over at your husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, one night stand, cat, dog, ferret um you know maybe you didn't look at anyone maybe you're just there alone just all by yourself you look over at that empty bottle of scotch and all the other accoutrement on the mirror and everything from your huge night alone and you thought what can i do in my life today to make bobby galinsky happy I know a lot of you woke up that way. I know you did. Yes, you're nodding. You're nodding. You're looking at each other. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Well, you know how you can make me happy? Subscribe. Okay? It's not that hard. Subscribe. Just go to the way it is. Website. There's all the choices. Apple, iTunes, podcasts, Google, I heart, tune in, whatever you're listening to, just click subscribe and then you'll get it before anybody else and your life will be so much better. And I'll be happy. And it's all about me. But now it's going to be all about you. Big show. I confess, I killed a major recording star way, way back in 2004. And, uh, her name was Delta Goodrum. She's back alive now, you're saying. Oh, no, I just saw her on The Voice. I've heard her record. Uh, she's huge in Australia. Those of you in more civilized and far-flung countries might not know the name. But uh, we're going to tell you how it all happened and how she came back. Then we're going to spend a little bit of time and go inside Taylor Swift. Now, don't you be thinking the wrong things. I know you people. I know how you people think we are going to dissect the Taylor Swift biopic, Miss Americana, which is on Netflix, which is quite an astonishing film and uh, gives us quite a bit of an insight on young or not quite as young, but still young, Miss Swift. We're going to talk about zippers and shoelaces. I have such a problem with zippers and shoelaces. I don't know what it is. I'm not left-handed, um, but they just seem to be a conundrum with me, and it's it's something that I have to address virtually every day of my life, whether it's summer, fall, winter, spring. You got to put on shoes, and on, unless it's really warm, you're generally going to have a zipper you know, for a coat, or a, a zipper for your pants, for your um fly pants for you guys and some women unless it's you know like a t-shirt and track pants but then you've still got the little waist tie at the top and of course you've got your shoelaces now I don't know what it is but since as long as I can remember I've always had a nightmare with these things no like I said I'm not left-handed I'm not retarded I have opposable thumbs um All of my digits work. And um, no, I don't, uh, to the best of my knowledge, don't have cerebral palsy or MS or anything uh, plaguing me the last 67 years. But lo and behold, almost every time I go to tie shoes, something goes wrong with them. I mean, this is, you know, 67 years of this, 365 days a year. And it drives me nuts. Or if I'm, out walking, and they loosen, and I go to tighten, and they form a knot. Or the zipper gets stuck on the way up or the way down. And this is not cheap clothing. It can be the most expensive piece of clothing in my wardrobe, and the freaking zipper get, gets stuck. I don't know if there's like a fastener karma out there, you know, that maybe in a former life, I was an emperor, and I killed the guy that made zippers, or, or hung as children with shoelaces or something um, in the town square. And, uh, you know, there was a curse put on me that I have problem with shoelaces and zippers. But it's every day. And I don't know how much more I can take of it. I mean, I'm, I'm leaning towards a life of Velcro, uh, Velcro shoes and Velcro coats. I do have a walking jacket for those uh, blustery days here. It's waterproof. That has Velcro fastens. Oh, I love it. It's not my favorite coat, but I love that it's almost foolproof. except once in a great while, I get the little Velcros wrong, so it's not synchronous, so the coat's too long or too short on the other side. It's an issue. I had to share it. I had to share it. And it's, um, you know, not from any other influence. Uh, I had a beautiful, beautiful bottle of wine last night, and uh, it's not going to affect or not affect my ability with zippers or ties this morning. That wine, by the way, what a new feature here on the podcast. What did I drink last night? Well, might have just been a ginger shot or a nice juice or a homemade latte or whatever. But on this case, it was a beautiful bottle of 2015 Vasi Felix Tom Cullody Cabernet Blend. Now, for those of you that are Australian that know the name Vasi Felix... It was the first winery in Western Australia. If you look at Australia, laid over a map of the U.S., it's about where San Diego would be, Margaret River, South Australia. And interestingly enough, I have to share this, the story of the name Vassa Felix. In fact, I had a cat. One of my two amazing cats was named Felix. But uh, there were two ships in the Bowden expedition that left from France, in 1800 to 1803 to come to discover that southwest coast of Australia. And they arrived via Mauritius in the peak of winter storms, eight-foot swells. And those two ships were the Naturalist and the Geography. And on the 8th of June, 1801, gosh, we're coming up to the 8th of June, when the Naturalist's assistant helmsman was swept up by the waves and thrown into the vast ocean, he disappeared, and his name was Thomas Timothy Vasse. V a s s e. Well, there was rumors he drowned. There was rumors that um, he surfaced. That uh, it, was, it was some of the most curious nautical stories in both French and Australian history. Was he lost to the ocean? Did he wash ashore, live with the local Aboriginal communities? I think you're supposed to say indigenous. Sorry. Did he grow old? I've been here 25 years, I'll say what I want. Did he grow old in Australia, or was he picked up by an American crew? Rumors that he was taken to England and imprisoned. It was such a highly publicized story that it made all the French journals. The public was divided. What happened to the unlucky and unfortunate Vassi? Well, Dr. Tom Cullody, founder of the Vineyard, an avid historian, and hoping his Vineyard would enjoy a much happier fate, he named the vineyard Felix, meaning lucky or happy Vessi. Felix coming from the Roman for luck. Now, the first harvest of Felix was an absolute disaster from storms and rot and birds and stuff like that. And I thought maybe the name had cursed it, but it's turned out to be one of the most amazing vineyards. If you live in the UK or the U.S., or anything like that. I know you can get it at, at wine stores, and it varies in prices. But if you like red wine, whoa, packs a punch, absolutely amazing. And I do prefer red wine. I'll have some white wine in the in the daytime with lunch, or you know, nice uh, fish or something like that, or pasta. But uh, can't drink much during the day; it just tires me out too much. But At night, love a good robust red with nice steak or lamb chops or something like that. I still have that meat and potatoes, Midwestern Iowa love. There's not going to be any veganism in this house. Although I do like the occasional vegetable. I loved Christopher Reeve. Now, as I promised you, I was going to admit... My first murder. Not many people have that, that deep, dark secret. But in 2004, around this month, 2004, there was a very famous uh, singer. She's still very, she's probably even more famous now. Her name is Delta Goodrum. She's Australian. Um, lovely lady. Astonishing voice. And she is on The Voice television show. Now you're saying, but I thought you killed her. Well, you'll hear and uh, she's sold like 9 million albums, seriously, worldwide. Had eight number one singles, been in Vegas, um, been in movies, TV. Anyway, kind of a local local hero here. Kind of a Mariah Carey of Australia, so to speak, but with all, without all the baggage. Um, but in 2004, well, actually in 2003, she contacted Hodgkin's lymphoma and had to go chemo undergo chemotherapy and things like that. And I wasn't a fan, but I wasn't not a fan. Just you know, wasn't really into that kind of music. But every day every day every day every day every day, every day the headlines, the radio, the TV, everything was always about Delta's battle. Delta's Battle, you know, and it got to be so overwhelming after a year. And it, it was like, you know what, just get well or, or die. I mean, you know, we got to have some other news. It was like the coronavirus. It just, it's the only thing people were talking about. And in April of 2004, I was producing a comedy show. Uh, Melbourne has the International Comedy Festival. It is one of the biggest comedy festivals in the world. We're also home to the oldest movie festival in the world, the Melbourne International Film Festival, a lot goes on down here, it's a very cultural city, Melbourne it is, Melbourne it is, and the comedy festival takes up literally, I know you hate literally when people say literally, literally, that's for you Steve, hundreds of venues, little venues, little bars that hold like about 8 or 10 people, and big theaters that hold thousands. Well, one of the bigger ones and the most esteemed ones is the St. Kilda National Theater. The St. Kilda National Theater um, is part of the Port Phillip Trust. Gorgeous old theater. um, Absolutely stunning and has been around literally forever. And by forever, I mean, it was built as a 3,000 cinema in 1921, um, remodeled to a 2,300 Seat Cinema in 1928, and now it holds about 900 people, and it's also where the um, Dramatic Arts Theater School is. Anyway, it's it's very well-known, very famous, and if you're playing there, it's the bee's knees. And I w- thought it would be very eclectic to do kind of like an Ed Sullivan show, kind of like a variety comedy show, because nobody was doing anything like that. And there was a very well-known um, Australian comic and a couple of uh, lesser-knowns, Australian comics and a couple of dancers and jugglers and cabaret people and put this together and booked out the entire theater. It's sold out in no time. And I thought, Oh wow, this is pretty impressive. And, um, I thought, what can we do for the crowd? And, um, I guess I should put it this way. What can I do to the crowd? that they will never forget. Now, lo and behold, coincidentally, this show, which was on a Saturday night, was also on the same night that the Logies Awards were on in Sydney. Now, if you're from Australia, you know the Logies Awards are the equivalent of our Emmys here. They're the uh, TV Awards. They're they're pretty naff. They're pretty gay. Um, it's a popular vote. Uh, a magazine called um, TV Week sponsors it and you know people vote so it's not necessarily the best person that wins but the most well it's popularity contest it's like you know nickelodeon or mtv or something like that but anyway it is huge absolutely huge mega dress up event and in broadcast uh if you're and they always get an international star and they've had you know um muhammad ali they've had you know back in the day they always try and get a big international star uh to make a long story short If you're from the U.S. or the U.K., you're probably not too familiar with this. Anyway, so she was going to be actually coming out of her chemotherapy, and her Delta was her um, rehabilitation and everything, and this was going to be her first public appearance in like a year or two on, on the Logie. So that was very highly anticipated. But nevertheless, we'd sold out our 900 seats for our comedy festival Um, people would have taped it if they wanted to see it. And on a nice, warm, beautiful April night, St. Kilda National Theater, packed to the rafters. And the theme, uh, two of the comedians were Jewish and well-known in the Jewish uh, community. And uh, I'd say probably about a third of the audience was Jewish and um, probably upper echelon people and people, that were just your average show, too, that, that liked the comedy. We had everybody. This was going to be a one-off. So as the producer and the the promoter of the event, which I thought was just to be kind of a fun thing to do, it was kind of outside my, my realm and wanted to stretch myself. Um, we had a program, a beautiful color program, that listed sponsors and all the acts and where they'd been internationally and what was going to happen. And lo and behold, it had a wonderful little area in the back of the program that said, love this show, contact the producer in my details. That was a big mistake. Big mistake. Anyway, so I was also MC and would be out there to run the show and introduce the acts. So setting the stage at 7.30 p.m. April 9th, that same moment in Sydney, the Logie Awards have begun. And I knew people would be kind of wondering about it. So I came out, in a, uh, in a suit, looking quite official, and said hi to the crowd. And then I had choreographed for a stagehand to run over to me and hand me a sheet of paper, as if it's some emergency bulletin or something like that. So picture yourself. You're out in the audience. See, on the stage, it's packed. You're ready for this to start. You're in for a big night of comedy. What's better than going out and just laughing your ass off for hours and having a great time and escaping and then coming back home? to life anyway I'm up there the stagehand hands me the sheet and I put my glasses down I look at it close and I go for real and he nods and he goes off and I go oh folks ladies and gentlemen I uh, I, I hate to start and I looked really upset and I looked very concerned and looked quite sad if there was an Academy Award for this I definitely would have earned it So I said, folks, ladies and gentlemen, I hate to start a comedy show on a rather somber note, but I was just handed this. um, So I'll just read it out as is on um, tonight in Sydney, Australia, at 7.20 p.m., Sony recording artist Delta Goodrum collapsed on stage at the Logies, where she was taken to the Prince of Wales Hospital And died shortly afterwards. And I didn't say anything. Now, what I was expecting was not what happened. All 900 people kind of went, and started crying. They started crying. I was expecting a huge laugh. I thought everyone would know, and people that knew me, would know that this was, hey, come on, a comedy show. Let's set the tone. Anyway, everyone started whimpering and crying. So all I could do was, I'd go, oh, okay, wishful thinking, ladies and gentlemen. May I present, and I introduced the first act and went off stage. Uh, at the end of the show, which was quite a successful show, people didn't get them get kind of lost in everything like that. But at the end of the show, I was literally mobbed by 900 angry people. Uh, The former head of Village Roadshow, Graham Burke, um, you know, colored me and says, how could you say such a horrible thing about such a lovely young girl? And uh, that was pretty much it from just about everybody there. And they all went home with the program, which had my details on it. And I received hundreds of millions of hateful emails for quite a long time. Some of which I printed and framed and put in a photo with uh, Delta and um, kept it as a trophy for a while. But there is an epitaph to this story. It was actually one of the greatest moments in comedy festival history. And I still think it's funny. I'm still laughing now thinking about it. And I have it on video too. I should probably sell these to the podcast. My first merchandise Um. Uh, Not many years later, I did meet Delta and her mother at a function because a friend of mine had produced a film with her. And I got a signed photo from Delta that said, all is forgiven, love and light, which is quite hilarious. She's got an amazing sense of humor and knew the context. I'm afraid her mom does not have an amazing sense of humor and know the context, but that's okay. And now she's back in the huge star of The Voice. And most people don't know. I'm the guy that killed her. And speaking of epitaphs and reposts and follow-ups and context, I a uh, couple days after that show, I did get a call. I was producing a film at the time, and we were trying to get some Sony Music cleared for the soundtrack. And I got a call from Sony Music in Sydney, and. The operator said, uh, Mr. Glensky, yes, I'm putting you on hold for Dennis Hanlon. Dennis Hanlon was the head of Sony Music. Um, very powerful executive in Australia. I wouldn't say the word beloved would ever have been attached to his name anywhere near it, but you get the point. Um, so I get the call anyway. He's on the speakerphone. You can tell he's in a big office. You know, big note. Uh, Bobby Glensky? Yeah, Dennis Hanlon. Sony. Um, I just heard that you announced that my client, Delta Goodrum, died last, last weekend at a show. What do you want me to do about it? I said, well, geez, Dennis. I'd, I'd probably, the next time I see her, put your arms around her and go, oh, thank Christ, you're alive. I heard you were dead. And then the line went dead. Um, we didn't get that music cleared. And I think just now I'm still realizing my. I never got a deal with Village Roadshow Australia for any of my film projects. Hmm. Funny that. So you finally arrived. What the hell are you wearing? It's my ass kicking outfit, bitch! In an ass kicking outfit, it is. Yes, it is. As you'll see in the show notes. Yeah. Had to today. Just had the glam up. It's a, it's a blustery 13 degrees outside, little windy, little sunny but blustery. And we've got the uh, Dolce & Gabbana track suit on with the embroidery. And I look. I could be a Tony Soprano kind of guy. I feel like Tony Soprano, like or a rock star when I walk around in this. It is it is my ass kicking suit. And uh, let's look down even though I say never look down, uh, the black camo Valentino sneakers. Yeah, we've glammed up. We had the big Tom Cullody cabs blend last night. We've got the ass-kicking suit on today. What are we next? Well, what's next is we're going to go inside Taylor Swift. And no, not like inside Marilyn Chambers. I, I can't believe the way you people think. But inside Miss Americana, which is her new... Biopic, which is on Netflix, and I gotta say, I have always been a bit of a Taylor Swift fan. That I enjoy the music, and she's obviously attractive, and she's successful. Wouldn't be my favorite kind of music, but I hear it in the background, or I've uh, never really bought it or downloaded it or anything like that. But I like it, kind of like it. It's it's pleasant, and I and I love success. I love people that make it from nothing to success, and this film explores pretty much her whole life to date and starting as a young girl in um you know backwoods tennessee backwoods tennessee the whole state's backwoods even nashville is back is backwoods it's shoes and teeth optional uh, unless you're a superstar there Um, And by the way, the Nashville, I don't know if it's the Hyatt anymore, but the Hyatt Hotel in Nashville, big round tubular one, was the number one hotel for suicides in the United States. This is a very important fact because it basically showed you that if you went to Nashville and you didn't make it, you took the elevator, the lift up to the top floor, walked out, looked down through the rotunda and, and jumped off and landed in the food court on somebody's table. What an ignoble way to go. But um, I don't know if it's a hide anymore. We'll have to look that up. But anyway, started in Nashville, entering contests, writing songs. She was writing songs when she was like six, writing songs. And there's a tremendous amount of video footage from her parents, her mom and dad, who seem to be really solid, really good moral quality parents. Not trailer trash parents exploiting their kids like, you know, I don't want to call people trailer attached, but you know, a lot of people from from the deep south or people make it in country western music they don't they don't got the they don't got the right upbringing that they got to have. No, they do not. Mama, put that pipe down, Mama. Anyway, it goes through her whole life and her amazing career and selling more albums than anyone living or dead, and the famous scene at the uh, music awards, where Kanye West took the microphone from her. I didn't used to like Kanye back then. And I didn't like him for doing that. You go, I'm going to let you finish. But Beyonce had the greatest album of all time. um, Or one of the greatest albums of all time. I thought, what a dick. But I actually quite like Kanye now. It was a huge mistake on his part. I, I like his music. He's a very smart guy. And I like his theory of life. Don't always like everything he does. But I've changed my opinion of him you know, 360 degrees or 180 degrees, I guess, would be more accurate. Turn the other way. Who knows? Maybe if I go back to hate him again, that's 360. That's interesting. Is that like a false positive or a false negative? But anyway, Taylor Smith, Taylor Swift, Taylor Smith, She <laughs> can always change her name. Taylor Swift. Edit that out, Bobby. No way. I'm too lazy. Taylor Swift really bared her soul. Um. From you know, being a size negative double zero to being a size eight, which is probably normal, but having people think she was fat or pregnant and her food issues and her fame issues and really saying how the only thing that she ever cared about from when she was a little girl, not blaming it on her parents, it just, just was her raison d'etre, was adulation and attraction and being appreciated and the only way she could get that buzz was on stage so when she's in a coliseum with a hundred thousand people and finishing a song and they're all absolutely clapping and shooting photos and you know lighting lights and just crying to be with her anything like that the adulation it is no drug ever ever could duplicate that feeling that had to be a serotonin rush for her it's just amazing. You see it in her face, in her eyes. Unbelievable. Anyway, it's quite a soul bearing film, and it gets to the point there, which I really enjoy, when she decided to support a Democratic senator in Tennessee and also to slam Trump, and in an eloquent way—not not necessarily a bad way—a little bit of, you know, the way the left slams him. But the discussion with her record company and her manager said, "Oh, suicide mission," and her dad said, "Oh, yeah." i got an idea. Let's cut your audience in half instantly. Why don't you come out and say you hate the president? And her dad is, you could tell, a pretty staunch Republican. But I love how they supported her. And I love how she stuck to her guns. Now, you know that I'm a supporter of the president. You know that I very rarely like a Democratic candidate. And especially a few of them. So it is anathema to me that she could support them. But in this case... The senator was one for women's rights and the GOP senator in Tennessee was not very staunch for women's rights, but neither here nor there. I love that she was prepared to put half of her audience on the line, half of her supporters, plus the death threats and everything she would have gotten once you do something like that and alienate a side. Any side, um, the difference is angry Republicans send death threats and angry liberals actually try and kill you. But I love that she had to stand up for what she thought was right. Now, you might say it would have been a lot easier because she already had 80 gazillion dollars so she could afford to do that. But it wasn't about the money. It was about, did she want to go through life walking a tightrope, not saying anything about her beliefs and not really feel good about herself? I was very impressed. And it gets back to the core of this show, which is, I don't care. I don't mind what you believe in. As long as it makes you happy, as long as you don't t- try and denigrate me. just You can disagree with me. Don't de- denigrate me, anybody, anybody else. Have your beliefs, and let's move forward. The success of the world is based on communication. That's all it is. The key to our lives and our relationships is the quality of our communication. That's it. And the film has astonishing footage unbelievable access, backstage footage, family footage, things like that. Even if you're not a fan, if you're just a family person or a fan of humanity and success, and it doesn't matter how much money you make or how important you are, it is how nice you are. And if you're happy and money, don't buy happiness. I highly recommend this film. It's on Netflix. And speaking of music, Let's go back to the summer of 69. The summer of 69. You can see why I don't sing. Back in Sioux City, Iowa. Because we always have to have a little segment in our little fireside chat here. And in the summer of 69, when I was going to Central High School, one of the people I was friends with, uh, her name was Margo Jacobson, sadly departed. But um, her house was... At the top of the street, around the corner near the Rose Garden of Grandview Park. And since I admitted to a murder earlier tonight, may as well ad- admit to some felony theft. Let's just let's, let's get it all out in one show. And my friends and I, we had just received our driver's licenses, mine which lasted like eight minutes before I got a ticket, an SR-22 and lost my license um, with my new car or my mom's car at that point. But um, we we're driving around, as we would do, playing poker and going and bowling and going to the Gables and things like that. we were driving around. And of course, it'd be in a summer night, it was light and going past the Rose Garden, we saw a for sale sign on the Jacobson house where Margot lived. And I didn't know where they were moving to or why they were selling the house. But it was kind of weird, because as a kid, nobody I knew ever moved or ever sold their house. Everyone just was always there. They always stayed in the same house. Very few, few people moved until I got to high school. And I don't know what possessed me, but um, one of my friends and I decided, why don't we go to every house we can that we see that has a for sale sign and take their for sale sign out of the yard. Those big metal sheet metal signs that said like Cold Coldwell Banker or, you know, um, Century 21 Realty or whatever. It's got the two spikes and it goes in the grass for sale. And we picked up like about 20 of those from homes around the area, put them in the trunk of his car. And then we brought them back to Margot's house and put them all over the front lawn. So the next morning when people woke up, they would drive past and they would see like 20 of these signs all over the front yard. And they had a huge front yard that led up to their house. Gorgeous house brick house that looked over the rose garden i thought that was pretty fucking funny it was a high school prank didn't hurt anybody yeah the people that were missing their for sale sign would have had to call the realtor and go yeah it's jim here i'm missing my real estate sign could you could you get me another one please yeah thanks anyway lo and behold someone somewhere some dibber-dobber had seen the vehicle unloading all these signs in the evening and written down the license plate and called the police. And that person had been contacted by the police over the weekend and said it was my idea and that I did it. He had nothing to do with it and that I'd borrowed his car, which is an absolute bold face lie Yes, it was my idea and yes, I did do it, but it wasn't his car I had taken. We were doing it together. Anyway, so unbeknownst to me, I'm just sitting there 16 years old doing what 16-year-olds do um, at the house. Doorbell rings, ding-dong, and there's two cops at the door. My mom answers the door, and he goes, you Mrs. Kalinske? She goes, yes, I don't know. I suppose if it was Vietnam time, she would have thought somebody had gotten killed and it was the military reporting, your son's dead. But nope, I was there. And so I suppose she thought it was something to do with my dad. And they go, can we speak to your son? And naturally, she thought it was Andy, my older brother, because if there was going to be trouble to be gotten into, it was going to be him, not me. And um, she says, no, he's away at college. "Um, You have another son? Yeah, Bobby. And they came in and sat down in the living room and said, we have reports that you took 20 or so real estate signs and stole them, and put them in someone's yard. And those were valued at $50 each. So that's $1,000 worth the real estate signs. And that is now grand theft. So we're investigating, investigating felony grand theft. Well, I'm just kind of sitting there in the living room shitting myself. All I'm thinking of is long jail terms with people like you see on TV. Thinking, Jesus, it was just a joke. But I could tell by these guys, and in Sioux City, any cop that has a chance to do anything other than jaywalking or speeding, this this is like their dream. Their, the absolute wet dream for a policeman is to get somebody, let alone a 16 year old kid that misappropriated some yard sign. So naturally, I lied. Nope, wasn't me. Don't know. Don't even know that house. Don't know anything. And I did the OJ Simpson way before OJ Simpson. And I stuck to that story. And they dropped it. They stopped investigating me. But it was me. That was my life of crime. I still think that's funny, too. Years later, when I was at University of Colorado in Boulder, I caught up with Margo, who was living in Conifer, Colorado, I think with her dad. And um, we went out for dinner. And uh, I shared that story. And she said she knew it was me. Which which made me happy. And she sadly passed away, I think she was about 52 or 53. It was in the mid... Um, oh, yeah, I think it was about 2006 or something like that, in, in, in her 50s. Very sad. A lot of people from our school have passed away unusually early. Very sad. Got a value every day. And it is funny how something that, that is amusing or... Um, just comes back from the past, uh, reminds you of someone that passed away, which is sad. But we are alive. We're listening to this podcast. So we should be happy and grateful. And on that grateful and happy note, I'm just targeting back to episode four. where We talked about the dinner party and the physics of serendipity being on the same wavelength with people and just the other morning sunday morning we were doing our morning walk we decided to go to albert park lake just for a change of pace from the beach and it was like as soon as i got out of the car and we started walking i just knew i just tuned in the frequency i just knew my friend suhay Blado, my best friend in australia my oldest friend here um was there i could just i could just feel it and lo and behold we walked maybe four minutes, and he came around from a bend, and, and there he was. And that's just what I love when you're tuned in to a friend, or you know the phone rings, you know who it is even before you answer. That's not guesswork, that's just tuning into that frequency. And and each day, each week, I, I get reminded of that. Try and be more present in the moment, really be aware of things. It's just, um, it's wondrous that way. Couple other shout-outs too. I was at my chiropractor, Angus Pike in Port Melbourne, who was a very, very close friend, who actually put me on to Dr. John D. Martini. My chiropractor friends over the years have, have always been really solid people. Dr. Bruce Beto in Pacific Palisades, Dr. Stephen Chance in in Santa uh, Sanibel, Florida, who passed away unexpectedly about a year ago. Blessings to his wife Naomi. And their daughters, Coral and um, Marianne, very sad. The good Dr. Chance, his family were very close to my kids, also, including my late son, Chris. It can be a sad, fucked up world sometimes, but conversely, it can be quite beautiful. Um, but chiropractors are very cool, groovy, aware, aware people. Anyway, my friend Angus, who was listening to my podcast, who was actually one of the first people to tell me to do a podcast. Um, said, you know, you didn't call out the most famous thing in Iowa. Yeah, I forgot. The Palmer College of Chiropractic, founded in 1897 in Davenport, Iowa. Yep, well, there you go. So uh, good on D.D. Palmer for that. It's been a lifesaver for me after some bad falls, a very bad motorcycle accident in Los Angeles, which cured me of motorcycles forever, as I made a pact with God as I was sliding across the Pacific Coast Highway, across six lanes of traffic, that uh, if I got through this one, I wouldn't get on a bike again. And um, also a call out to Bistro Teary, which is reopening very shortly, and I'm very excited. I'm going to be making that my traditional birthday lunch place. One of my favorite restaurants. My good friend and tech superstar, Blair. Blair Stonehouse, Limelight. He's a family man now. I'll never see him again. And Fiona at Heatherly. Heatherly, while we we were sitting here in lockdown, um, ordering things like umbrellas for tropical drinks and all kinds of other inane things that we absolutely needed. Oh my God, we're in lockdown. We need some umbrellas for our tropical drinks. You'll see one on, online in the show notes. But um, Heatherly um, is a supplier here that makes amazing bed heads and footstools and stuff for the bedroom. And we needed to update the bedroom. And uh, the wife got onto that. And Fiona at Heatherly service unparalleled. And we absolutely love it. Our bedroom looks pretty epic right now. Also in a memory lane shout out, a shout out to Blackie Jackson, the king of white soul in Boulder, Colorado, um, whose family operated The Sink, which was like one of my favorite, everyone's favorite place on the hill in uh, Boulder. I think Blackie's got a new album coming out, uh, a retrospective of his life. So you'll want to pick that up. And as we fly out to Los Angeles town memory lane, it's a story day. It's all just great, great stories. I, uh, I recall one of my favorite all-time Hollywood stories, which is when um, Roseanne Barr and Tom Arnold were kind of finishing the run of the original Roseanne series, which um, ran from 1988 to 1997. Fantastic show. Um, My best friend out there, the wingman, was a contract administrator for Carsey Werner. Carsey Werner created that show, as well as Cosby and dozens of other amazing shows. And just the the Halcyon days of of American television. And uh, at the end of that time, both Roseanne and Tom Arnold had a huge substance problem, smoking crack, and neither would tell the other. But how they discovered it is, as they went into each other's closets to hide and smoke, they would find burn holes, pipe holes in the clothing, and they figured out that the height of the burn mark where it was hung in the closet correlated exactly to the mouth of the height of the person, whether it was Tom or Roseanne, who were both going in their closets to smoke and hide and inadvertently burn holes in their clothes. Only in Hollywood. What kind of forensic detective would be able to put that out? I think that's just a fantastic story. Not as a role model thing, but just as a fantastic story. I've got the best, the best Nicolas Cage story. Since Nicolas Cage, it looks like, has been ostensibly cast as the new Tiger King um, in the feature. I have the best Nicolas Cage story, which we're going to save for next week when he was on the set of Bangkok Dangerous. This will absolutely blow you away. And last but not least, just kind of bringing you up to date in the in the world um, spygate, spygate. Now a lot of people think this is conspiracy theory. I've left it for last, but you wait, mark my words. The next 90 days, that's June, July, August. By the end of August, you are gonna see all the heads roll from the Obama administration who are involved in spying and trying to set up. Uh, president Trump, whether you like the president or not And it's okay if you don't like him It's great if you like him Whatever, he's raw He's a narcissist um, He's vain, he's rough But uh, I think he cares a lot about the country Whether most people believe it or not And I think you're going to see some of the huge malfeasance At the top of the FBI and the CIA That um, It's going to be worse than Watergate I could be wrong But in this case, I know I'm not. Mark my words. And here in Australia, um, I think you're going to see some heads roll at the top of some of these premiers, too. Our most visitable state, not visible, visitable, Queensland, still has their borders closed because they're worried about this COVID nonsense at this point. They're just going to let the state go completely broke, which is like 89% dependent on tourism because they're scared of one case. Coming in here the mismanagement at leadership level Here is is criminal. It's past being bad. It's criminal every day I see friends and colleagues and people I know um, Going out of business for good losing their homes, which they pledged pledge for their business. It's it's insane And there's going to be a big 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 rebellion on that But i'm not ending on that note I just always have to get that in. I don't like to start with that. You got enough woo flu news right now. Enough of you have had, you know, fried bat dinners for the past few months, or suffered from that fried bat dinner hangover. But um, the one good thing, and I always say, in the darkness there is light. With every down there's up. With every up there's down. Is the amount of wonderful reading I've caught up on too, and I've rediscovered Brett Easton Ellis and his podcast uh, at B B E Brett. Easton Ellis. He, um, I'll tell you, in a pantheon of great writers, he is one of America's great writers. Again, love him or hate him, amazing. He takes you away to another planet. And speaking of legendary writers, John O'Hara, I'm just back into Appointment in Samara. If you want to read a book, I know the great Gatsby and uh, probably gets the accolade as the great American novel. But you got to read Appointment in Samara. If you're going to read An Alcoholic Irishman, read John O'Hara. Appointment in Samara was written way back in 1934, and it chronicles the absolute descent of a gentleman who was once part of this social elite in this uh, small town in Pennsylvania. And it echoes everything that's going on now with class fours. In distinction, in wants and desires. It is such a powerful book. It, it, it's, I, I almost wish it had been required reading in high school, except that most books that are required reading become anathema to us, be, just because of required. I mean, who would have ever read The Red Badge of Courage? Um, but please p- pick that up. It's amazing. It's my, my old theory, give it the 10 minute ticker. If after 10 minutes, a movie doesn't grab you or, or 10 pages of book doesn't grab you, uh, put it down, put it down. It's just amazing. So we will, um, we will reconvene next Friday as, uh, Venus is retrograde and all of our social fun is put on hold. And we'll be talking more about that next week and why it matters. And, uh, I might actually be looking forward to just days from going to a restaurant next week. Maybe my spirits will pick up a bit. They're always up. My spirits are always up. It's just that I can't tolerate injustice or or stupidity. Um, ignorance can be cured, but stupid is forever. But look at the positive. Always look for the positive in someone. In fact, just it's probably someone you've been thinking about this week that you haven't spoken to in a while. Give him or her a call. Just connect. There's a reason why you're thinking about him. And don't let that moment pass. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. It's been happening to me a lot this past week. And I think I'll go back and study a little bit of my Italian and uh, polish up on it. Because uh, è abbastanza bello, essere importante. Ma e molto più importante essere gentili. Which, as you would know by now, means it's quite nice, very nice to be important, but it's far more important to be nice. So even though I say, fuck China, I love you all. Have a great week. See you next Friday.